this one instance. Can I see your hand? Amen. Amen. And you know what? This morning, as we think about that, I think about these men in our church that serve as deacons. You know, the word deacon is a word that simply means servant. It's a transliteration of a Greek word in the New Testament that just means to serve, uh, service, uh, ministry. And, And so when we think about it, even in that broad term, a term of service, that means that every one of us who are in the body of Christ are called to be a deacon. We're we're called to serve. If you look at some of the New Testament letters, you'll find that there are different people in the Gospels uh, in the New Testament letters uh, and Acts, like Phoebe and others who were referred to as a deacon in a church, and that's because they were a servant in that church. And so uh, we all, in the body of Christ, have this ministry of service. And I am so thankful, really, I am so thankful to pastor in a place alongside so many many faithful people that are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It it is every week that I hear story or testimony in the way that somebody in our church did did something for someone else. And and, and it never gets old. It's always an encouragement to know that a body cares for itself as a whole. It's not one person or a group of people that are somehow providing all the care and concern for the body of Christ, but rather it is the body, the family, caring for a family. And it takes a family to care for a family. Actually, I was sharing with our men this morning as we were having our study and our time together, something that this week, for the very first time, I I had never seen it before, although it's in the Bible and you think you should, it's as clear as day, certainly you'd see it. But when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you're looking at the qualifications for those who would serve in leadership in Christ's church, there's something that is said of both pastors and deacons. And that is this, that they must be people that manage their own households well. And when I heard that and when I thought of that for just a second, it made me realize something. It made me realize there's something that stands the church apart from a business, I'm thankful that we have a lot of business-savvy people in our church. I'm thankful that many of those are serving in different areas of our church and helping in where areas where, where I am not. I am not. I am not that. But I'm thankful that we have that in our church. But there's something, you know what? There's something different about a church and a business. Do you know what that is? And, and, and it's so profound when, when the New Testament writers were Uh, Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, what what this role in the church of God ought to look like, he said one of the qualifications is that these men who serve in this servant leadership way in a church are individuals who manage their own households well. And when I thought about that, it's so amazing and it's so important because the church is not a business. And the way that we manage or the way that we would serve or or do in the body of Christ is not that of managing like you would manage a business because the qualifications in God's church look far different because God's looking for individuals who care for the church of God in a way that is like a what? A family. In the way that's like a family. And, and, And Paul is arguing this. He's actually laying it out. If a guy is able to care well for his family at home, it's a bigger, it's a small picture of how he's going to do that in the church of God because the church of God is a family. This morning, if you're taking notes, I want to just simply uh, share with you a brief message entitled, The Ministry of Mercy. The Ministry of Mercy. 
Really, it's a threefold charge this morning. It's a charge to these two guys, Eric Daniels and Dylan Scaglione, that we'll be setting aside later in, in the service. It's a charge to all the men that serve in leadership here in our church as a deacon. And then, even more broadly, it speaks to every one of us. Because in the body of Christ, all of us share in this ministry of mercy. So before we get started this morning, you've opened your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to read verse 14 and verse 15. And guys in the sound booth, if there's any way you could give me a little more sound up here, I feel like, I feel like I'm yelling, but maybe, you, can you hear me back there? Can you hear me? I feel like I'm yelling, so help me not feel like I'm yelling this morning. All right, here we go. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. The Bible says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of what? Of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of of the truth. You see, Paul has been writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, a, a prodigy, somebody that he has mentored and discipled, but now Timothy is now a colleague of the Apostle Paul. Timothy has now uh, taken the reins for the church there in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to Timothy so that Timothy would know how God's family ought to relate to one another, how God's family ought to be structured. And so notice, he writes these two verses at the end of chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul is listing the qualifications for overseers or elders, and then he lists the qualifications for deacons. So with that in mind this morning, let's pray and ask for God's help in this ministry of mercy. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you so much that you care for your church. And Lord, you care so much about your church that you've given us uh, qualifications and, and descriptions of what those who would serve in leadership look like. And so, Lord, as we pause and think about these verses for ourselves, Lord, I, I pray that this morning we're not just thinking about somebody else in the church, but we're thinking about our own selves and how the attitude and humility and the person of Christ would, would be shown through each of our lives. And Lord, as we think about the big church and the way that you're caring for the whole needs in the body, Lord, may we be thankful that you've given us leadership. May we be thankful uh, for all that you're doing at Kataba. And we give you the praise and glory and all these things. And everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Well, Paul in, 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 Ephesians, in 1 Timothy 3 is outlining for us the, what the leadership in a New Testament church looks like. And he describes two groups of people. He describes the first group in verses 1 through 7. As you'll see in your Bible there, the title is Qualifications for Overseers. The word overseer is the word bishop. Now Paul is describing what, what is one office in the church, the office of an elder, a pastor, a bishop. And he lists in verses 1 through 7 the qualifications for that. But then in verse 8, he begins to shift and he begins to talk about a second office in the local New Testament church. And that is one of deacons. And now as you were to follow all of Paul's writings in the New Testament, you would understand that that first group, the elders, the overseers, the bishops, those are men who are responsible for the spiritual oversight and care of God's church, of the flock of God. And then notice the next group, 
these deacons are, are responsible really for all the aspects of service that flow out of the first. And I thought about this this past week as I was preparing, and that is this, that, 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 that a healthy New Testament church needs both of these offices. It needs both of these. And sometimes we've gone wrong in Christianity in the past by pushing everything into one office or somehow splitting it into multiple offices, more than these two. And this is what God has designed. It's his blueprint for the local church. It's important that we have these two offices because by that, there is a duty of responsibility that is essential for each group. And it's, and it's impossible if all of this was placed on one group of people to be effective in their ministry of what God would have for them. And so as God structures his church, he did so by providing these two offices in the New Testament, one of pastor, one of deacon. And the apostles are concerned, right? So think about this. As Jesus has given his commission to the church that they would go and make disciples in all the world and that what had started in Jerusalem within a few days and weeks and months would be moving rapidly across the world and people were going to be hearing the gospel and being saved and local churches would be established. As this was going to happen, what's happening is the apostles are rightly concerned that as the church of Jesus Christ grows from that 120, as we see in Acts chapter 1, all the way to the book of Acts, where it's a multitude that literally can't be numbered, the apostles are concerned that as this thing takes off, (laughs) how is the church well cared for? How is it well led? How is it well established? And so what you see in places like in 1 Timothy or in other places Um, You can see this in in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. He describes this twofold office in the church. Paul and Timothy write to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. Just listen, they said, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so Paul and Timothy both understand that for a church to be established, for it to be strengthened, for it to be well cared for and led, that there are these two offices. And we find the pattern for that in Acts chapter 6. And so this morning, we're going to be kind of moving between 1 Timothy and Acts 6 because what starts in Acts 6 as a pattern, by the time Paul writes the letter to 1 Timothy, it's become an established office in the church. That this word that was just used to signify servants in the church has now, by the time Timothy is receiving this letter from Paul, he's understanding that this is actually how God wants his church to be structured. It's how the church is to be well cared for and how is it to to, to be fruitful in the ministry that God has for it. So take your Bibles and jump back with me now to Acts chapter 6. Turn there in your pages. I love, how many of you brought your Bible to church today? Hold it up. How many brought your Bible in your iPhones? Good. Okay, good. All right. Acts 6. Acts 6. There's something about seeing God's word in front of you. I appreciate that we put it overhead, but there's something about seeing it in your own Bible. Acts chapter 6. Notice with me in verse 3, Paul begin, uh, not, not Paul, uh, Luke, as he describes in this book, notice what he says, brothers, he's describing the history of the church. He's describing how the church was formed and how it grew after the day of Pentecost. He says in verse 3, therefore, brothers, he's talking to the church, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And we, the apostles, will appoint them to this duty. But notice verse 4, but we will devote 
ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You say, well, why were there seven? Because they needed seven. (laughs) You say, why does our church have seven? Because we decided this year we'd like to have seven. Uh, We had five, and now we, we feel like our church is growing and the need in our church. But you know, I thought about this this week. Guys, you have it really easy. Because you have like 10 or 12 people in your care team. The new church had thousands. So never say it's too many. Go talk to the early deacons, man. They tell you a church of 20,000 was much more difficult than a church of 100, right? But no, why did they need seven? Because they had, they had ministry for seven. They needed seven men. And notice, but what is so important is why were they appointed? Why were they appointed? And the one answer to that question is simply this, the ministry of mercy. The ministry of mercy. A church family has a lot of needs. How many of you in your own personal, private family, there's a lot going on privately, personally, family needs? Hold your hands up. Come on, in your own family, hold up your hands. Look around the room. Now, imagine how many of those needs then are represented in a church of this size. There's a lot of needs. And there's a lot of people who need mercy. They need help. They need ministering to. They're lonely. They need encouragement. They need someone just to come and and help lift up their fable hands and knees. The church today needs encouragement. Let's not forget that. Within the body of Christ, there are people every Sunday that walk in these doors that are deeply in need of encouragement. And it's so exciting when somebody meets a need and cares for somebody in such a profound way. But what the apostles were recognizing was, man, there's a lot of people that need mercy. And the apostles were finding themselves increasingly overworked. They were increasingly unable to perform all of their duties. They were scattered so thin as they thought about all the things in this new church as it was forming and growing and multiplying and people that are needing to hear the gospel and, and regions of the world that need the gospel. And, and so they're going into all the world and they, they recognize that there is this incredible need and that God, Jesus himself, had, had called them to this ministry of prayer and proclamation of the gospel. Like, that is what they had been called to do. And yet they found themselves just completely stretched thin. They were overwhelmed and overworked and they found themselves so busy ministering and helping and ministering and meeting and they were caring for the poor and they were caring for the needy and they were caring for the widows and they were caring for the orphans and in addition to all that, they were preaching and trying to find time to pray and then there's more needs and more people with food needs and, and, and they were just overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. If, if they could say it, they probably would have said something like Bilbo Baggins said when, Tolkien asked, when uh, Gandalf asked him how he was doing. He says, I feel like butter scraped over too much bread. He w- they were just spread thin. These guys were just spread thin. And so what was their solution? What was the apostles' solution for the church of God We find it there in Acts 6. They created a team of ministers. They created a team of ministers. We know them as deacons. Now, they're not called deacons in Acts 6 because I believe what started as a pattern in Acts 6, by the time you get later in the New Testament, it becomes an office in the church. But notice it began 
with this team of ministers. And the apostles delegated all this ministry that actually was incredibly important. It wasn't that it was less important and so they delegated it away. It was just as important. Because you think about what Jesus says in the, in the Gospels. In Matthew 25, he says, One day the king will answer them and say, As you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you've done it unto me. Like, so the apostles understood that the care needs within the church were profound and many, and they were important. Because every one of those people represented the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of those people represented a soul that was destined for one place or another. And they were concerned about it. They were caring about it. And the way they met the need was they created this team of ministers. We call them deacons. The apostles were saying that as the elders in that church, and we see this as it happens in 1 Timothy, that as the elders of the church, that they shouldn't deacon tables, they shouldn't serve tables, but that they, notice, notice, do you see it there in Acts 6? Do you see it there in Acts 6 verse 4? They said, but we will devote ourselves to what? What were they going to serve in? How will they serve the church? In prayer and what else? The ministry of the word. And you see what, what they're saying is that both groups of these people in the life of a church are going to serve the people of God. Both pastors and deacons will serve the church, but the way in which they do so will look different. That pastors are going to serve the church through prayer and the ministry of the word and the proclamation of the gospel, and that deacons would serve the church through all the other practical needs of ministry that flow out of the first. That, that together that they share in this work of shepherding and caring for the church of God. And these seven men were set apart. And when they did, it established a pattern that the church then grows and develops and was strengthened. And can I just say, man, here at Catawba Valley, I'm thankful this year that we have seven men that we as a church have set aside and recognized as deacons to help care and share for the needs in the church. Because I told him in our deacons meeting this morning, I said, guys, I'm feeling like the apostles in Acts 6. I, I think I'm feeling it and recognize it, especially now that we're in this season with a pastor's search and realizing my time is just not going as far as I want. And yet I'm so burdened because I think about people and needs in the church. But you know the solution for it. It hasn't changed. It's to create a team of people. And so our church did. We've created a team of men, these, these seven men this year who are serving as deacons. And what are they tasked with? Well, they're tasked with the meeting of real, tangible, physical needs. All of the needs of the ministry of mercy. And so this morning, just briefly, if we had to ask the question, well, then who is a deacon? What is he? Easy. He's a minister of mercy. Church has ministers. We're all ministers in God's church. But these seven that you're going to see as they come forward in a minute, and as we recognize them this morning, these are seven men that are ministering to our church for the ministry of mercy, encouragement, and help, and need, and direction, and, 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 and uplifting, and, 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 and the physical needs, and the tangible needs. Someone has said it this way, that some are responsible for the leadership of others while all are responsible to the leadership of Christ through his word. And these seven men, they minister to us 
there are primary caregivers. There are primary caregivers at this church. And it's even hard for me to say that because like, I'll just be honest with you just a second. As a pastor, as a shepherd, I, Stephen and I were driving down to the funeral on Friday with Doc Mason. I said, hey man, how's your week been? How's life outside of ministry? In a new ministry, not church ministry. Shouldn't say that. He is in ministry. That came out the wrong way. He's not in pastoral ministry. Stephen, do you know his first thing that he said to me? He says, man, it was crazy how much of a burden is no longer there. He said, it's odd. He says, I actually kind of miss it. He says, there's a part of me that was so wrapped up in shepherding and caring for people that I still care. He's like, I still care as a, as a person, like, but, but my care feels different. It looks different. I totally understand. I mean, I, I get what he's saying. Somehow in our church culture, we've bought into this lie that, that the pastor is the only person that can care for the church. I hear people leave churches all the time because their pastor never fill in the blank. And then I, I think about the church they came from, and I say, there's no way a church of X amount of people your pastor could have ever fill in the blank. But we have this expectation that we want that personal connection. But I find interesting in the church of God, in, in Acts, the church goes from 100 to 20,000. And it wasn't struggling, it was flourishing. It was actually how it was supposed to be. And the way that that happened was the church was receiving care, but it wasn't coming from just one person. It was coming from this group of ministers. And I'm sure as we see the Church of Acts progress, if we could go back and look at church history, we'd find that every church as it was established and grown, there were people selected in that church as deacons. And that's what Timothy and Titus, remember when Titus is in Crete, Paul says, hey, go into those towns and establish Elders, appoint elders in every village. And I'm sure those elders then appointed deacons in those churches because they realized, man, as the body of Christ grows and develops and people are coming to faith in Christ, this family needs to be cared for. And so we're going to appoint these ministers of mercy in every church so that every church is well-established and well-cared for so that the shepherds and the pastors and the overseers and the elders might devote themselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. So the whole thing just keeps on growing. So I'll tell you, I'm thankful that we have seven ministers of mercy at Kitab. Are you thankful for these guys? Say amen. And I pray that they will bless you, encourage you, and help you so that we as a body, as a family of God, might be all that he wants us to be. So notice with me, who are these guys? Well, they're ministers of mercy. What is their qualification? How did they get there? Notice Acts 6. There are three things. They are to be men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and of a good report, of a good reputation. The very first quality and the qualification in 1 Timothy 3 is that a deacon must be somebody who is blameless, above reproach, both for pastors and for deacons. Why? Because in their life and in the way that they're going to serve the church of God, there's now many eyes on them. Not that there wasn't, but now there really is. And as they serve in that servant leadership role in Christ's church, 
It's not that these guys are sinless. That's not the word. It means they're blameless. It means that there's no glaring accusation with their testimony or with their faithfulness. These are not guys that we wonder how might they serve. No, we already know that because we see their life and we've watched them serve. You know, sometimes you, I hear stories and it's like, struggling church, this guy's really struggling. Ah, let's make him a deacon. Then maybe he'll get plugged in. No, we should, you know, we have no question about Dylan and Eric's service to our church. We've already seen it. They're faithful here. They're involved in the ministries of our church. They come and serve on days and projects and outings and events, and they're in the life of our church, and they're giving themselves away in service to Christ. And so guys, as we think about this, we look at these qualifications and notice there's a whole bunch of things that these men must be men of integrity. Notice there, deacons must not be double-tongued in 1 Timothy 3.8. There's this integrity with their finances. They must not be greedy for money. They must be in, have integrity in, in the doctrines of the faith, that they, that they know the tenets of the gospel and the truth of God's word. They have been tested. They've served and we've watched them served and now we have appointed them in this role. And, and many of you, number of, number, number of months ago, when, when new deacons are appointed into the life of our church, it comes as a unanimous recommendation from everyone in our leadership, from pastors and deacons. And both, both of these men have received that. And they've walked through things and worked through things. And, and at this point, you as a congregation have affirmed that a number of months ago in our meeting. And they have been tested and found blameless they have integrity in their family. Notice with their wives and their children and their own households. In their marital integrity, their faithfulness to their spouse. All of these things, they're, 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 they're not perfect. And both of those guys, they would admit that right now. And so would all of our other deacons. And so would I. It's not perfection, but there's a qualification and I'm thankful that they have met that. So what does this mercy ministry look like in our church? You're sitting here this morning and you're saying, hey, so these seven guys, they're here, they're ministers of mercy, that's great, but, but what are they going to do? What are they going to do? What, what do they do, you know? Some of you wonder, do they just meet? Do they just meet? What, what, what do they do? Well, you find in Acts 6, it's a pattern but what we discover in the Bible is there's no long list of what deacons are to do. Actually, there's not even a long list of what pastors are to do. And that's because this, in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament and God himself were more concerned about who those people are than what they did. You know, we can have someone come in and check every box and do everything the right way but if they're not the right kind of leader, there's a glaring inconsistency in their walk with Christ. And so how these men function in this church is that they simply flow out of our uh, pastoral ministry in these practical ways of how they care for the church. I'll read you just a glimpse of what's in our constitution of what we here believe about these men and their function. 
in accordance with the meaning and word and practice in the New Testament, deacons are to be servants of the church. The deacons, while under the spiritual oversight of the pastors, shall support the pastor's ministry of the word. That's, that's primary. We're all in this together, moving the gospel forward. Work to maintain church unity. Care for the temporal needs of members. Attend to accommodations for public worship, including baptism and Lord's Supper. Establish and maintain contact with the membership. Endeavor to reclaim members who have become inactive. Serve the church in ways that promote and benefit the ministry and specific deacon roles will be established and maintained by the mutual agreement of the pastors and deacons. So there's many ways that those guys serve, but let me just give you four, really quick, just four. The first one is this, our deacons facilitate this kind of care in the church by supporting. They support. What do they support? They support the propagation of the gospel going forward. Uh, they, they support the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, they support our pastors so that they might faithfully shepherd the church so that as a whole, we might be built up in love. They help support ministries in our church that, 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 that touch and benefit the comprehensive ministry of Catawba Valley. They serve our congregation by supporting, but secondly, by peacemaking. By peacemaking. These ministers of mercy are peacemakers. I call them shock absorbers. You wouldn't believe it, but churches aren't perfect. Did you know that? Do you know there's a lot of imperfect people in the church? Just look to your right and you'll see one. We're all here, right? <clears throat> and with imperfect people comes problems. Thankfully, there's not a lot of problems. Actually, fully honest with you as a pastor this morning, I'm not aware of a glaring problem. Sometimes new families will come into our church and they'll say, after all the new membership stuff's all done, then they kind of, you know, they kind of lean across the table and they're like, okay, but now give me the back end. What are the problems? I'm thankful to say, I don't know. Now I'll tell you, you might come in and find one. But I'm not going to just tell you, I know there's this glaring thing here because I don't know that. But these men serve as shock absorbers in our ministry. They help care for the unity of our church. They help the church be unified and go forward in the mission that God has for us. And not everybody's on board with that. Not everybody always supports that. But these men for sure are, are endeavoring to facilitate and support the unity and the care in the body of Christ. They help remove potential obstacles for the unity of our church to grow and develop and be strengthened. Thirdly, they facilitate. They facilitate. They facilitate ministry. They're ministers of mercy and they, they, they facilitate needs and practical care within our congregation. They, they're serving in all the different ministries of our church and our, and our music ministry and our, our safety team and our encouragement team and they're serving on our finance and different guys are serving on our properties and, and in different ways. They're, they're serving in a visible, tangible ministry and they're help facilitating that forward. And then finally, how do they... How do they support our church? They do so in caring. Care. In ministry. In times of need. In bereavement. In benevolence. In serious illness. Our widows. 
There's a lot that happens that many of you would never know. But goes on behind the scenes in ways that this church is touching and meeting needs and people never even heard about it. But these men are faithful to provide care in that way. So much so that every one of you have been assigned to one of them. Every one of you have a a deacon. Would you open up your bulletin this morning? I want you to take it out. Look right there in the names. If you're a member in our church this morning, there is a name and a face that is responsible for your family to help be available. They pray for you. They want to know what's happening in your life. They want to be available to meet the needs as they come available. So see right there, if, you have, if you're a member of our church and you have a last name, which I hope you do, there's a picture and a face of these seven guys. Right now, I want to invite all of them to um, come up here. Please come up here, men. Seven guys that are serving as deacons this year. Jay Dillon is out of town this morning, but I believe everyone else is here. Come on, guys. Come up here on the platform. Jay Rhodes. Sorry, who did I say? Sorry, Jay. Jay Rhodes is out of town. Come on up, men. Come on up. Come on up. In our church, uh, men have the opportunity. They serve a year term and are eligible for three years, and then they roll off. So the men serving this year, Larry Starkey is our chairman. Uh, Vice chairman is Jay Rhodes. He's not here this year. Dylan Scaglione, uh, Claude Horn, Eric Daniels, Dennis Harris, Richard Caldwell. This is um, Larry's first term, your first term, second term, first term, third term, first term. So we've got a lot of new guys who have rolled on this year. And can I just tell you, if you've got a need, a problem, anything, would you call them? Would you reach out to them? You're welcome to call me, but you know what I'm going to do? probably going to call one of them. Who's, your deacon? Who's, yeah, that's a good question. Who do I get as a deacon? Wait, M, I got Claude. <laughs> so um, listen, as a team this year, we want to help care for you in this church. And this morning we're setting aside Dylan and Eric as new deacons in our church. And so in just a second, we're going to lay hands and pray for them. But before we set them aside, you know, you say, what's ordination? Well, it, 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 it comes from the word in, in the New Testament, meaning to lay hands, to set, to set someone aside, to set them apart. We were setting them aside for a purpose. And what we've done with these men who are serving and now with these two is we're setting them aside for a very specific purpose in this church. To say, you're coming on this team to be a minister of mercy and to help provide care and encouragement and help us further our mission here as a church family. But Dylan and Erica, Dylan and Erica, come here, Dylan and Eric, I'm going to set you guys aside for a second. And I'm going to stand right here because I have my notes of something I want to say. All right. There's some relationships that these guys are entering into today in this new role. And something I don't want you to forget about as you minister to this church family is that first and foremost, you have a relationship to the Lord. And your ministry to these people, your ministry and your family and, and to all of us is is first and foremost, what kind of a relationship with you have with God. You give out of what you receive. And so the grace they receive from the Lord and their time abiding with him is the grace that they extend and give out in their ministry. 
They have a relationship to the Lord, but they have a relationship to their wives and their families. And, and, and that is the greatest ministry before this that God has given you. And your faithfulness to that and your, your, your commitment to that. Both of these men have a relationship with the lost. I'm telling you, these are two soul winners you see up here. These are guys that share their faith. Um, and they're active, involved in that. And you got people in our community that are going to hear about this. They're going to say, Eric Daniels is a deacon at that church. Dylan. But you know what should happen? There should be a positive thing in that. Because they see your walk with Christ. And there's not a glaring inconsistency with your testimony in the community. And your testimony with us. That they're one and the same. You have a relationship now to this church in this role. To love them. And to serve them. And to care for them. And here's the big one, to forgive them. Because I am sure they will be misunderstood. It always happens. Or we'll misunderstand you or vice versa. So pray that they uh, fulfill that relationship with our church in a way that honors Christ. And finally, they have a relationship to our pastor, our pastors in time. That together as a team, as we care for the body of Christ and together, uh, someone has said it this way, and I love how it was said. They said that deacons are an extension of the heart, hands, and mind of pastors in response to practical issues. I love that. Because there's not this, um, you know, sometimes churches put pastors and deacons and they're like, they're there to keep each other in check like the House and the Senate, you know. Well, that's setting up for disaster because how's that working in our own country, right? But that's neither here nor there. That's not, that's not what they're there for. They're there, ultimately the accountability of a church resides in the members of it, right? So we're not at odds. We're a team in what God's doing here. And I hope that you'll see it that way. And, and no, and I'm so thankful. Can I just tell you this? I'm so thankful for our church and for each of these men. Uh, their encouragement to me, their support, their uh, everything. It, it means so much. I, I talk to other churches and pastors, and it's just, I just want you to know, it is not always that way. It's not always that way. So things are not perfect here by any means. But we want to press on in faithfulness to what Jesus wants. And that together, we're all going to help, as Paul says in Ephesians. I'm going to read this passage in Ephesians, and then we'll lay hands and pray on both of these men. These are gifts that God has given to his church. And in that, these gifts that he has given to help equip the church for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, is for this purpose in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Until we all attain... All of us, the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every human cunning and by craftiness and all deceitful seams, but rather speaking the truth in love, that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which is it is equipped, when each part, and once again, that's all of us, when all of us are working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do this year. As a church, we want to see God work in amazing ways in our midst. When you read the book of Acts, when the church was functioning in this way, the word that Acts uses is it says it multiplied. I pray that the church will multiply this year. Multiply in our outreach, multiply in our faithfulness, multiply in our mentoring, multiply in those acts of mercy so that as a body, as a family of Jesus Christ, it would be well established. So guys, we're excited for your ministry this year to us and what you're going to bring. I'm going to ask both of y'all if you would just kneel right here. I'm going to ask these men to come gather around. We're going to lay hands and pray on both of you. Come on, guys, go right here. We'll just gather around. And um, I'm going to ask Richard to start by praying, and then I'm going to ask Claude to pray, and then I'm going to ask Larry, well, to close us in prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. <laughs> Gentlemen, we got a special gift for both of you. And uh, let me see here. Let's see, I put, there it is. Eric, Dylan, and uh, this is for Dylan, for Eric. Let's thank these men so much for all that they do. All right, gentlemen, you can be seated. Um, I'd ask you to stand with me this morning, and we'll be dismissed here in just a moment. As we leave here today, as we're sent out, we're sent out as agents of mercy, ministers of mercy. I hope this morning, after we sing, that you'll take time. Don't just run out of here, but I hope you'll take a few minutes, especially the people sitting right around you. Reach out to them this morning. Give somebody a hug and a word of encouragement. Uh, Greet those that are new here uh, with us this morning. And and as we leave this week, I trust that you'll continue to hold up Nancy and and, uh, Amanda and their families in prayer and be present uh, in the needs in their life. For uh, For Miss Mary this morning and Ted, continue to pray for them as Ted has a ways to go in his recovery. And uh, we're just going to trust the Lord and these things. So don't forget this. As you leave, you're sent out into a mission field of other people who need ministers of mercy. They need people to enter into their mess and join them where they're at and share the hope of the gospel. We're going to close this morning by singing a, a hymn of a chorus. Lift up your eyes overhead to the words. And after we sing this morning, you'll be just...